welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Sets of Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Sam Chand. Sam is a former pastor, college president, and chancellor, and now serves as president emeritus of Beulah Heights University in Atlanta. He serves pastors, ministries, governmental and social organizations, businesses as a leadership architect and change strategist. Sam's the author of a number of books, including Leadership Pain, The Classroom for Growth, and his latest, How Leaders Create Chaos and Why They Should. But before we talk with Sam, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, it would help us if you left a review. Now let's go to Ed Setzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the incoming Dean at the Talbot School of Theology. Well, Sam, super excited to have a conversation with you today. Um, as I've told you before, I actually use the book we're going to start with, but you've written you've written more than one, and we'll talk about them. But um, but the book we're going to start with is actually uh, around the issue of pain. It's actually a required book in uh, in my uh, I have an organ change, organizational leadership and change management class, and this is required reading. It's called uh, Leadership Pain: The Classroom for Growth, and in it you write. Leadership that doesn't produce pain is either in a short season of unusual blessing or isn't really making a difference. Um, you know, here I am about to start a new job, right? And so, uh, and, and, and use this as a book for training and more. Uh, and nobody wants to hear this, but it's essential. Why is pain an inherent part of leadership? So the way I stumbled into that, first of all, thank you so much, Ed, for inviting me to, to be part of uh, what you do. And and you, before I go any further, I need for you to know, whenever I read something happening in the church world, my first thought is, wonder what Ed Stetzer thinks about this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, because you, know, you, you are a very, very seasoned and eclectic thinker. So back to pain. Uh, I'm a leadership consultant. I get to travel the world. I've got to, uh, clients on every continent except Antarctica. <laughs> and I have found... Uh, the one thing that is common to all great leaders, it is not administration, it is not money, it is not staffing, it is not vision, it's not location, it's none of those things. It is their ability to handle pain. And hence the, the thesis of the book, Ed, is you will grow only to the threshold of your pain. You will grow only to the threshold of your pain. And what I've also found with pain is that we can, we all have levels of it, and we consciously or unconsciously check out and create our own thresholds. And yet we know that to go higher, to go wider and deeper, uh, there's going to be more pain around the corner. And pain comes in all kinds of ways. And the most painful pain is when it comes from areas you never thought would come from. In fact, the most painful pain is people you thought were there for you, are going to be with you, are supporting you, and you find out through all kinds of different ways that somebody in that circle was doing things and saying things and posting things that were not uh, really encouraging for you. So pain is a pain is a real thing. Uh, you cannot avoid pain. Uh, you can you can try to get around it, but if you p- create a threshold for you, you're gonna live an unfulfilled life because the pain will be. I should have been there. I could have been there. Why did I let so-and-so stop me? Why did I let that, uh, that lack or that uh, uh, situation take me down? So yeah, pain is a real thing. And everybody listening to me, there's not a single person listening to us right now, Ed, who's not nodding their head saying, 
I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think a real important distinction too, is that, and this is again, when I, when I teach this, you know, we, we go through your book, uh, leaders lean into the pain. Uh, and, and again, not, not in a way that's like, I love pain. Uh, but you know, one of the things I, I, I quote, uh, I know it's a little strange, but there's this line in this movie called we about a zoo. And it says just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will come of it. I, I think to take, um, to say, you know, this this starting this conversation with this underperforming staff member or starting this conversation about we have to redirect where we're headed as an organization, that first 20 seconds, it takes it takes some serious bravery and to get pressed through the lean into the pain. And what I've found is, is that leaders are people who are willing to make not not just this, but are willing to make hard decisions. And the reason people don't make hard decisions is there's pain on the other side. Uh, well, starting through and sometimes on the other side, but you have to get through that pain to get to what makes a difference. So how do you like even encourage, like our audience is pastors and leaders, how do you encourage them to be willing to lean into painful situations? So I can tell you two things that have helped me. Number one is reflecting on my own journey with Jesus. So I'm 70 years of age. I got saved in my father's church with a pastor when I was seven. So I've been I've been saved off and on Ed. So uh, since the age of seven, and and I can tell you that reflect on God's journey through my life, in my life, by my life, I just see every inflection point that went up was when I was able to embrace the pain, not numb the pain, not run from the pain, not try to pray the pain away, not try to create an army of people who support me, but I just look at my life Ed, and the common denominator at every inflection point at every juncture in my life where life went in a positive godly direction is when I was able to say, God, I don't like this, don't want this, but I'm going to hang in there. Can you make this short? <laughs> can we can we get out of this? The second thing is that people who avoid pain also lead people who avoid pain. Mm. So you create a ceiling for the organization. I can tell you, uh, you know, I've had literally thousands of uh, very, very, very difficult conversations with people. And I've never gone into that conversation feeling sure of myself. I've never gone into the conversation feeling like, yeah, I think God is with me. I think we can make this happen. I have never gone into it with uh, full assurance that we're going to come out of this okay. I have, I, I, I tell you what, my knees are always shaking. My voice is always quivering. I'm, you know, I, I am, I'm scared because these are defining moments because most of these, these level conversations are that level conversations because of your, le your level of relationship with them. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was somebody that I was not in relationship with, I can have a tough conversation with them. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But yeah, it will be over in 30 minutes. It's highlight, delete, I'm done. Right. But if 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 I'm scared of that, that tells me the level of uh, relationship and collateral damage that might come from that. And so I I have learned that Sam, don't try to get cocky about this. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't think you got this. Uh, anybody who says they got this is just full of hubris, you know, and and it's not going to work out good for them because it's not going to come across that way. So those are the two things that uh, helped me. My history. And knowing that I'm scared. Yeah, and I think that's key because I think I think people kind of assume that, you know, my job as a leader is to uh, sometimes even 
exude confidence, but I'm still like, you know, we, we can do, we got to have this hard, we have to make a hard decision. We're going to do this hard path and I'm going to be confident about it. But inside I'm, I'm experiencing uncertainty as well. Uh, my part of my job is to project uh, leadership confidence, but I, I recently had a conversation with some, uh, with a couple of leaders who, who had uh, struggled with making hard decisions. And I, and I, and I shared with them, I said, you know, there, there are basically three paths. Um, these, and I kind of walked through, I happen to be you were talking to him about this, there are three paths. And the phrase I, I used was, is, but, but all your paths are pain. And it's, again, I keep I was thinking back to Sam when I'm saying this. I said, all your paths are pain. The question is, which pain are you going to pick? And on the other side of that pain, which result is going to be the better, the right, the desired outcome? And, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, but what often happens is people get paralyzed by the fact that, they don't have a solution that's not painful or they'll find a solution that isn't going to accomplish what they need to do, but it's the least painful or maybe it's not painful, but then the pain comes down the road. You don't, you know, when you, when you don't make a decision because it's hard, you have to make a harder decision later and that becomes yeah. even more painful. So I guess for me, when I tell people this, it sort of resonates with people. Like you said, people are like, yeah, I could see that. But at the end of the day, I just want to live a happy life. I don't want people to be unhappy and so, so I'm gonna have to make a choice. I have to make a choice, the kind of leader I want to be. So you, and for those of you who don't, don't know Sam, he is, he's like mentoring half my friends. He's, uh, this is what he does. He does this incredible uh, leadership, uh, mentoring and training and more. So, so when you do that, you're sitting down with one of these pastors that I, I happen to know who you're working with. How do you help them to see the necessity? Because I want the church, pastor and church leaders to see the necessity of making hard decisions without also just being a jerk who just likes to make other people's life difficult as well. There's a balance there. How do you walk that path with them? So there are many questions I can ask them, but the one question that got me the best response, Ed, is to ask them simply this. If you are not to make this decision, what's the what's happening? And they'll tell you, you know, it'd be bad. People will be leaving. Money will be down. We will lose that location. Half the staff will leave. Okay. So, you know, we do what Jesus said, count the cost. Mm -hmm. And I help them, what you would call it reality therapy. I basically say, hey, listen, if you don't do this, what's going to happen? And I let them tell me in their own words what will happen. Now, if they say to me, hey, if, if I don't do anything, we'll be fine. So, okay, then we should not have this conversation. Let's talk about something else. Uh, but I'm in this room with you because you're trying to process this and I'm helping, you, I'm helping you figure out if you don't do this, what's going to happen. Many of your listeners who are listening to us right now, Ed, are making major decisions. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I want to tell you the what we've come through, the year that we are in right now, the year we are in right now, in my estimation, is going to be the most consequential year for the Church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because this year, Churches and pastors, like you said, our main audience, you're going to make more consequential decisions this year. Till last year, you were, you know, you were doing systems and structures and uh, reorganizing and, uh, you know, getting your hybrid programs together and hiring different ones and so on and so forth. But this year, you're going to make phenomenally consequential decisions. And there's more pain this year. Hmm than you have ever experienced in your life simply because of the level of uh, decisions so you know in my in my work 
and I talk to five to seven large church pastors every day, every day. And I can tell you the level of conversations I'm having are definitely much different and higher than we had a year, year and a half, two years ago. Questions are different. Scenarios are different. Consequences are different. Uh, how they process it is different. The people they process it with are different. So this year, and, and I know everyone's knocking their heads off right now, nodding it off, saying, yeah, that's right. And it's all it's all with everyone staffing to what you're preaching, to what your people require, to who is back, who's never coming back. I mean, you're going to make some major decisions. And, and, and if I could use an example of the fatigue of decision-making, leadership pain. So it doesn't matter which president of the United States might be. I'm not going to name any names. It really doesn't matter. They go into the office younger, and within a year's time, they got bags under their eyes, crow's feet. Now, you know, you know they don't get stuck in traffic like at least I do. I know you don't. You have police escort everywhere you go. But yeah, so, you know, they don't get stuck in traffic. They make traffic for others, but they don't get stuck in traffic. They don't have to stand in grocery lines wondering if uh, aisle number five is going to be open. They don't have to worry about diet because they have chefs. They have dietitians. They have the best of the best uh, of everything. And yet, why do those bags appear under their eyes? And why do they have a slouch in the shoulder? It is that. All the time, doesn't matter what decision you make, half the people are not going to like it. Doesn't matter who you are. And that is leadership pain. So back to what you were saying, Ed. If a leader gets caught into the cycle of trying to lead by consensus and mm -hmm. trying to keep people happy, the most unhappy person will be you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say, too, it's interesting. You know, I, I used, I, I guess I still do. I do seminars on church revitalization. And I had a joke that I put in my, my seminar. And I said, uh, Pastor, if you're trying to lead your church and to do some sort of revitalization and 10% of your church isn't mad at you, you're not doing anything significant. And then I would, everyone would laugh and I would say, but if 70% of your church is mad at you, you might want to, you know, slow down and tone that back and, you know, pace yourself a little more. But what's interesting is in, you know, last few years, uh, if 10% of your church isn't mad at you, I mean, you probably kind of got like, it's just more that the level of people unhappy. Um, I talked to one pastor who said, you know, I used to get emails. Now I get texts. So the unhappy people are closer, um, more engaged. And it's not the only answer. We recognize there's multiple things, but one of the answers has to be effective leadership. And that's been you know, a passion for you. We call this the the Stetzer Church Leaders Church Leaders Podcast. So leadership deeply matters uh, to us. Okay. So one of the things in uh, that that of course you write and speak on these things, but in your book you say Christians often have more difficulty handling personal pain than unbelievers. You go on to write for church leaders, pain is pervasive and persistent. And I want to just press on this one more. What's some unhelpful or problematic ways? that church leaders respond to pain? Because they know, they know. I mean, people are nodding their heads. It's been a painful few years, been the hardest time that I've led in my lifetime, probably many people you're working with as well. So help us think of some things to avoid, unhelpful or problematic ways church leaders respond to pain. I think, first of all, is the theology that guides our view of God. Mm -hmm. That A, if you are going through a painful situation, you're, not, you're doing something wrong. Yet in the Bible, everybody went through painful situations because they were doing right. So our theology is messed up like that. And also we feel like God's got to deliver me from this pain. And uh, so, so we have to understand that God leads through pain. And every leader I know walks with a limp. 
Every leader walks with a limp. And that is what brings humility into people's lives. But in church world, pastors as a profession, as a vocation, as a calling, see more of the wear and tear of life than any other human endeavor. An insurance agent sees you for insurance needs, your banker sees your financial needs, your car mechanic sees your car needs, your doctor sees your physical needs, etc. But a pastor sees you from the womb to the tomb. They see you when there are babies being born. They're seeing when your mama is dying. They see you when you're getting married. They see you when you are getting divorced. They see you when you buy a new house. They see you when you're getting evicted from your house. They, they see you when you have a job. They see you when you are asking the church to help you get groceries to the house. So the pastor sees the wear and tear. And the second thing about that is it is pastors never off. Pastors never off. So this is what I want every pastor to hear me say. As long as you are pastoring the church as a senior pastor, you will never have another vacation or holiday in your life. You just will not do that. You could be on a Mediterranean cruise. And two things are going to happen. You're going to keep thinking about the church, number one. And number two, you're going to be so dysfunctional. It's Sunday morning. Relax, chill. But no, you know what you're doing? You're firing up your iPad and watching your church from where you are on vacation. And then you're getting ticked off because that light bulb is out and they made the wrong announcements and so-and-so is wearing that when they're not supposed to or, oh, they forgot to make that one announcement and, oh, he preached too long. And I mean, so it never stops. And that is where, that is where it is so important. And I write about that in my book, that pastors have what we call pain partners. Unless you have, I have five pain partners in my life. Ed, I know literally hundreds of thousands of people but have five pain partners. And with these five pain partners, I can be naked. I can tell them. And here's the best part. They don't have to give me advice or talk me out of that. Just be there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would encourage everybody to say, who are my pain partners? Who is willing to walk this journey with me? And so every, every pastor, you got, you signed up for this. And the only time you will not have the pain you have right now is post-pastoring. And I hope you're alive for that moment. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, by the way, the book is Leadership Pain, the Classroom for Growth. Sam, too, one of the things that you do kind of this coaching and things of that sort, and there's a way that folks can uh, can engage that. Tell, tell, tell us about that real quickly, the, the offer that you have. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a thing called the Sam Chan Leadership Institute, and the price is amazing. The price is amazing. Can I tell you the price now and then tell you what you get for yes. it? The price is pay whatever you want to pay. You want to pay $1, you pay want to pay $1,000, no question asked. So what will you get for that? You'll get 12 of my books, one book a month. You can get hard copy as well as digital. You'll get three videos that teach that book every month. So 12 books, 36 videos, and a certificate at the end. Here's the website for that, samchandoffer.com. It'll be on the screen or it'll be, it'll be placed somewhere there. Sam, S-A-M-C-H-A-N-D, D as in David offer offer.com and all you got to do is go on there it'll ask you how much do you want to pay where do you want us to ship this and that's the end of the story so no one's going to push back on it and i'll tell you ed where it has really caught fire yeah it has not caught fire with senior pastors but it has caught fire with their teams interesting what pastors are saying is to their staffs they're saying to their elders leaders volunteers saying hey you want to grow there's no budget from the church for this. Here's the website. 
go log in mm. and so we've got literally hundreds of thousands of people at the what i call the executive and lower level there are the tuned into this and the blessing to the pastor that's awesome but well, talk to me a little bit uh about how you uh how you think of this year because you've got you've mentioned this year being different on a few occasions um so what what have you if you're talking to pastors and church leaders what are you hearing about it? i guess you touched on it a little bit give me a little more though what's different from what you're seeing right now and where you're seeing we're going so where you're going is not where you've been so if you if your paradigms are mere tweaks of what you were doing a few years ago uh you're gonna crash we are we are living in a time in which you have to re-engineer call it rechurch if you want to you got to rethink not just your calling but how you expedite your calling for example your metrics of church have changed uh remember a few years ago we used to measure church by the a b c a being attendance b building c cash well, cash is still king, but we found out that attendance <laughs> can fluctuate greatly. And buildings, we did church for all kinds of months and years in some cases without a building. So what are you measuring? There are two things that churches have to measure right now. And this that I'm giving to you, I, I, just, I just organized my thinking, but it's not original with me. Two things. One is involvement. That's internal. Impact, it is external. How do you measure involvement inside the church and how do you measure impact outside the church? And the way to do that is not go to your team and say, here are the two things and this is how we're going to measure. You are also at a different place and how you are leading. And so we've got to get our teams together and say, okay, in our church, if we were to measure involvement, what are the numbers we're looking for? How do we measure involvement? If we were to measure impact, how would that be? Because once they have ownership of that, and the reason that you want to go at it that way is because decision making, the, the art and science of decision making has shifted because people receive decisions differently now than they used to. Tell, tell me more so about that. When they, receive, they receive decisions differently now than they used to. How, tell me more about that. So there was a time that you as a pastor could come into your staff meeting and throw something on the whiteboard and say, this is what we're thinking about doing. This is the what, this is the why, this is the how and where and so on and so forth and go into a planning mode. Now you have to encourage them to be part of the decision making. Because what happened in our life, in our world is people we trusted, organizations that we trusted in all spheres of life uh, disappointed us in decision making. And so people don't trust decision makers as much as they used to. And now we have to make sure that they are part of the decision making process. Now that is not, that's not an, uh, a difficult process, but it's a process that we used to bypass, but now you got to lead people through that. So, so definitely, you know, the, the level of distrust in society, lots of other things have changed as well. Uh, and I want to come back to the because we're primarily going to talk about leadership pain because it's it's I just again to say it's so uh, so influential to my way of thinking and 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 I find it helpful. I, I find that leaders are people who make the hard painful choices. I mean, it's just it's just consistently the right choices, not just making them because they're painful. That would not be helpful. Um, okay, but there's not the only, that's not the only thing you've written on as well. And so because that that book's actually a few years uh, a few years old. Um, but the one that just came out is how leaders create chaos and why 
they should, which is kind of a fascinating uh, title. You know, that's you're, you're kind of the master of the good title. So why should leaders create chaos? How do they create chaos and why should they do it? And this is, again, uh, partly from Sam's book, How Leaders Create Chaos and Why They Should. Tell us. So I was watching this leader talk at a, at a gathering and he was telling his stories that I did this and I started this many churches and then I became a missionary and then I did this, I did that. I moved from this country to that country. And all his stories were about where he was. And I started looking at him and saying to myself, but what's happening today? Where are you today? Because every leader who's listening to us right now is started off as a roaring lion. I mean, nobody, nobody in the leadership capacity, no pastor listening to us right now said, you know something, I just want a mediocre church. And I just want some average preaching and an average worship and average location, average money, average people. I just want an average family, average kids, average wife, average husband. I just want an average car. Nobody starts off that way. So everybody listening to me started off somewhere in life with a roar, like a roaring lion. And then life happens, disappointments happen, people come, resources dry up, uh, promises are unkept, and we get tamed. So we look like a lion, but instead of a roar, now we got a meow, we become a domesticated house cat. And that book, How Leaders Create Chaos and Why They Should, is simply saying, get your roar back. You were born with a roar. Uh, you didn't come here to take sides, you came here to take over. You did not stop, step out to just be another church. You, you were going to make a difference. And so what happened to you? And the, that book basically encourages people to say, you are a roaring lion. You still are a lion. Get your roar back. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, um, so when the chaos comes, I mean, how do I, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to practically create and maybe even give us some examples of ways you advise leaders to do that, to create some chaos that produces something better on the other side. Well, I think that is what this year is going to be about. It's going to be a chaotic year. There's going to be staff shifts. They're going to be how you organize a services shift. Uh, there'll be how you deliver your services shift. There, there's going to be where you allocate your money internally and externally shift. There's going to be how you measure uh, your success and your what's not working out shift, the kind of sermons you're going to be preaching, the kind of series you're going to be doing, because people are asking different questions. And the indictment of the church is still the same. We are ask, answering questions nobody's asking. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 so it's going to be a chaotic moment because people, people are looking for stability right now. Right. Right. And you are going to offer them. So here, here's what I know about the Bible, Ed. In everything within us as human beings, wants to move from the uncertain to the certain, from the unknown to the known. But in the Bible, every biblical character, God has moved them from the known to the unknown, from the certain to the uncertain. Everybody who's doing anything, Old Testament, New Testament, everybody, God is moving us toward the unknown. And that is why Leading in ambiguity, which is creating chaos, leading in ambiguity, in my opinion, is the highest level of leadership. Mm -hmm. highest, you know, Moses and, and Joshua. Uh, Moses was a better leader than Joshua. Why? Because Joshua had already been as a spy. He had crossed the river. He'd come back from the river. He knew what it was all about. He had the GPS. He had the map. Joshua knew where he was going. Moses did not. He was leading people in an ambiguous period of time for 40 some years. So 
I think people listening to us who are looking for surety and certainty got to know that God doesn't play that game. The way he tests us is to put us into positions in which all we've got is him and to trust him. And when we do that, that is where the pain erupts. That's where chaos erupts. And then we want to tamp it down because the most dangerous word that a pastor says is yes. Hmm. Everything hmm. shifts after that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the um, And again, I, I, I because I've read so many of your books, um, I, I want to bring out one more theme from one other of your books. It's called Change Has Changed, Time for a Strategic Reset. Now, you wrote this. It came out in uh, October 2021. So this is something you're, you're writing in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, you know, all the things that are there. And you talked about major shifts. Uh, matter of fact, you talked around earthquakes. Our environment has changed. We have changed. And the people around us have changed, right? So um, and particularly that people around us have changed. You've already kind of come come to that. So so here's the question. Uh, how do we lead in what's become uh, a new normal where change has changed? And uh, what, what kind of reset do the pastors and church leaders who listen to this podcast, what do they need to consider? And, and the question is so appropriate and so right. Change will not start in the grassroots, it's not going to start in mid-management, it's going to start with you. And here are two or three questions that every senior pastor listening to me right now needs to ask themselves. I'll give the easy one first. How has my leadership style changed? Not the substance, but how has my leadership style changed? The style of leadership. Question number two is, how has my thinking about people changed. You know, when, when we went through the difficult times a few years ago, uh, people were not afraid of the sickness. People were afraid of people. <laughs> you know, six feet apart, 10 feet apart, put this on your face, don't put it on your face, et cetera, et cetera. And so how, how do you view people now? Uh, because it's not that they have changed. You have changed toward them. And I think the third question is, what are the main motivations of people now? Main motivations of people. So the motivational uh, aspirations that we used to offer people at one time are not the same motivations that uh, motivate people now. And you got to step back from that. These are introspective questions. The first one is an existential question. Because if you don't know that you have shifted, you'll not be able to re lead your people. So it's the the other thing, you know, in my in my book on culture, I write cultures created at the top, sustained from the bottom, but destroyed from the middle. Mm -hmm. It is created at the top, sustained from the bottom, and destroyed from the middle. If it's destroyed from the middle, how do those people in the middle know where you are? Mm -hmm. Because if they don't know where you are in your thinking, and you're not talking about that then they will go by what they thought you thought, but you're not thinking what you thought. Hence, change itself has changed. Mm, fascinating, okay. So so if that's the case, and I, I think I track it with you and agree with you, um, give us some kind of a, as a, kind of a last question, uh, give us some practical uh, ways that pastors and church leaders can, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm kind of combining some of the themes. We were just talking about how change has changed. But I also still want to come back to that that pain. Again, the, the primary book we've been talking about, I mentioned a couple others, but the primary one has to do with with pain and leadership pain, the classroom for growth. So so what are some of those important practical ways you can give pastors and church leaders with the way change has changed now navigating their pain in leadership? Again, 
you cannot stand or sit in front of your team, your staff, your volunteer leaders, your executive leaders, and tell them this is how it's changed. You the change, big change is how do you bring them along? So, for example, if I was pastor of a church today, I'd be much more organic than strategic. Strategy will come down the road. So I get my leaders in the room with a whiteboard and just simply ask them, guys, how have the people in our church changed? Question number two, how have the people in our community changed? The people that we serve. Uh, how have you changed? How, how do you perceive me to have changed? I have changed, but tell me how you see me as changed. And when you create that kind of conversation out there without trying to come up with a plan at the end of that meeting, and just start that conversation. You can come back to the plan three weeks later. But right now, you're just saying to people, everything that you see in front of you has changed, but we don't talk about it because we are afraid or we don't want to offend somebody. So when the pastor puts them out there, simply saying, how, how have you changed? How have the people changed? How's the community changed? Hey, tell me, how have I changed? Talk to me without getting defensive. Just, just talk to me and just white, write it on the whiteboard and just talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Because if they take the journey with you and really buy into the change has changed, then the strategies and the tactics that might emerge from that will have much more Velcro stickiness to them than if you were to stand up there and say, hey, guys, let me tell you three things that have changed. That's a non-starter mm -hmm. in the world we're living in now world we're living in now sam chand uh super helpful again um to the point where i actually require uh his book on leadership pain for uh my students and so thankful for you sam good to see you again and we've been friends for a long time and thanks for coming on the podcast with us what an honor and delight thank you for everything you do ed thank you you've been listening to a conversation with sam chan you can learn more about him at samchan.com be sure to check out his book, Leadership Pain, The Classroom for Growth, and his latest, How Leaders Create Chaos and Why They Should. Thanks again for listening to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.